Reading from 1 Samuel 8. Israel asks for a king. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his secondborn was Abijah, and the name and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in from his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you will have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone, go back to your own town. They say that the grass is always greener on the other side. You've probably seen this ad before, where the superannuation funds of two women are compared. The woman on the left is talking about how much more money she receives from her super fund. The woman on the right is intrigued. Her contentment in her own super fund is shaken. 
she starts to wonder whether the grass is greener on the other side. Eventually she wants to be like the other woman, to have what she has. And as viewers of the ad, we're supposed to follow in her shoes and want to be like the other woman too. It's something we naturally do as humans, isn't it? We look at what someone else has, we think it's greener on the other side, and we want to be like them. As we look at 1 Samuel today, we'll see that the Israelites aren't content with what they have. They look at what the other nations have and think it's greener on their side. They want to be like other nations. Throughout chapters 8 to 12, we'll see that God lets them have what they want, but reminds them that he is their king and they are his people and they need to be different to others. And we'll see a similar thing for us as followers of Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've seen that the Israelites have God as their king. And God is a king that gives abundantly. Two weeks ago in chapters 1 to 3, we saw that God gave Hannah a son. And then God gave Hannah more sons and daughters as well. God gave abundantly, more than Hannah asked for. Last week in chapters 4 to 7, we saw that God gave Israel victory in battle. And then God gave them some territory back and prolonged peace as well. God gave abundantly, more than Israel deserved. And we reached a high point in 1 Samuel. God is leading his people through the priest Samuel, his human representative. Things are really good. God's people should be content. And that's where we find things today. We're going to focus on chapter 8. We'll hear a fearful demand from the Israelites. We'll see a comparison between human kings who take and take and take. And God as king who gives and gives and gives. Then we'll pick out some important bits from chapters 9 to 12 before looking at Jesus as our king and how we need to serve him. So let's look at the people's fearful demand at the beginning of chapter 8. Have it open as we look at it. The elders of the Israelites come to Samuel, their leader, with a demand. Israel's been blessed with good times, but now they're worried. They're afraid. The elders are afraid because Samuel is getting old, his sons are wicked, and their enemies are still out there. Samuel has led well, but when you get older, you need to pass the leadership on. Samuel had planned to pass things on to his sons by making them judges too, but they're bad eggs. And Samuel hasn't given any instruction about nominating someone else to take over. These are real concerns. It seems natural for the Israelites to be afraid, but they're forgetting who their king is and they're forgetting who their king has made them to be. With the Lord as their king, they should remember that he is in control and not be afraid. As the people of the Lord, they should remember that all that he has given them and trust him. But they don't. They make a demand. Let's read their demand to Samuel in chapter 8, verse 5. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Their demand is repeated with extra information in verses 19 to 20. Read it with me now. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, 
and to go out before us and fight our battles. So the elders of the Israelites are giving three reasons why they want a king. The Israelites want a king to lead them or judge them, like the leaders in Judges who won battles and decided legal issues. And this seems to make sense. A king will help to unify all the tribes. The Israelites also want a king to go out before them. Think Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart, rousing the troops, being the first to run towards the enemy. And this seems to make sense. A king will help to rally the soldiers. The Israelites also want a king to fight their battles, to be a mighty warrior general. And this seems to make sense. A king will help to win battles. But again, they're forgetting who their king is and forgetting who their king has made them to be. As people of the Lord, they are to be judged by God, as he has been doing through Samuel. As people of the Lord, they are to be led out by God, as he has been doing with the Ark of the Covenant. And as people of the Lord, their battles are to be fought in God's strength. The real reason the Israelites want a king is that they want to be like the other nations. They think the grass is greener. Their contentment is shaken. They've forgotten that the Lord as their king has called them to be different to the other nations. They are to be spiritually different because they worship one invisible speaking God and they are to be politically different because their God is their king. In times past, they have rejected the Lord for the spiritual gods of the other nations. But this time they've rejected the Lord for the political gods of the other nations. The elders' fearful demand for a human king is rejecting the Lord as their king. Let's see how God and Samuel respond to this demand. Samuel is displeased with the people's demand, yet the Lord says to give the people what they want, with a warning. Samuel warns the Israelites that human kings will take and take and take from them. Notice how many times the word take appears in verses 11 to 18. Human kings will take their sons in verses 11 and 12 to die in his army, to work to produce food for them. Human kings will take their daughters in verse 13 to make perfume and food, I guess so the king can smell nice and eat well. Human kings will take their crops and their animals in verses 14 and 15 and give them to others. Human kings will take their servants in verse 16 and make them work for them. And finally, in verse 17, human kings will take them as slaves. But the Israelites refuse to listen to this warning and they repeat their demand. So their divine king continues to give and give and give. And we see the Lord as king giving generously throughout chapters 9 to 11. Have these chapters open as we skim through them. In chapter 9, we see the Lord giving Saul, giving the man who will be the first king. Read with me the first two verses of chapter 9 to get a first impression of Saul. There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, think wealthy, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So Saul is rich and tall and handsome. He's a triple threat. Surely a great choice for a king. 
But throughout this quirky story in chapter 9 about looking for some lost donkeys, have a laugh reading it through later, we get to know Saul better. We see Saul is a bit self-centred. He's concerned about whether people are worrying about him. He's concerned what people will think of him. And he doesn't even recognise his people's judge. He mistakes Samuel for a gatekeeper and asks him for directions to his house. And later in chapter 10, we see Saul hiding amongst the baggage while God is electing him king. Imagine that, the tallest man in the land hiding amongst the tents. And this is the guy who's going to be king over Israel, rich, tall and handsome, but also a bit self-centered and cowardly. Yet, couldn't this picture be of the kings of other nations? This would be the sort of guy they'd elect, wouldn't they? Someone who looks impressive and who loves himself. Maybe this is exactly what the people asked for, a king like the nations. Yet for all his human faults, Saul is anointed king by Samuel, by God's order. Now that Saul has been privately anointed, he is now endorsed or supported as king by God in chapter 10. In the first half of chapter 10, Samuel predicts a series of signs involving travellers and their gifts, a procession of musical prophets, and Saul himself prophesying with them. It's a pretty wacky story. Make sure you check it out later. Let's read how God deals with this new king in verses 9 to 10. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, A procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. Saul is only a human, so only the Lord's help will enable him to be king of God's people. This endorsement by the Lord becomes public in the second half of chapter 10, as Saul is selected by Lot out of all the men of Israel to be king. The Lord as king generously gives his support to this human king. Finally, in chapter 11, we see the Lord as king again, giving help to the human king. An Israelite city is besieged by an enemy people, the Ammonites, and messages are sent to ask their fellow Israelites for help. Read with me what happens when Saul hears the message in verse 6 of chapter 11. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. With the Lord's help, Saul is able to rally soldiers from all the tribes to take the Ammonites down. Have a read of it later. Again, the Lord is giving help to his human king. In this story of establishing the Israelite king, the priest Samuel has the final word in the story. In chapter 12, Samuel calls the Israelites together to listen to him as he reminds them of who their king is and who their king has made them to be. For ever since rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord has been their king, and they have been his people. That's the covenant promise they're bound by. God saved his people out of slavery and saved into covenant relationship with God. They were randomly plucked out of all the other nations to be set aside as special. And even though the Israelites have rejected who the Lord has made them to be by wanting to be like the other nations... God still loves them. See it in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, 
because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. The Lord is not like the gods of the other nations. He knows his people. He is their father. They belong to him. He loves them. And like their king, God's people should not be like the people of the other nations because they are known by him. They are his children. They belong to him. They are loved by him. As this relationship is so important to the Lord, chapter 12 ends with Samuel recalling the Israelites back into covenant relationship with the Lord. Let's read what Samuel urges the people to do from verse 24. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Samuel is reminding the Israelites of who their king is and the great and generous things he has done for them. And Samuel is reminding the Israelites of who their king has made them to be. A people are now a king who need to fear and serve the Lord faithfully. It's helpful to see the Old Testament as a one-way street to Jesus. And the things about kings in 1 Samuel point forward to things about Jesus. Come with me to John's Gospel, starting at chapter 6, to see this. Have it open as we skim through some important parallels between the situation in 1 Samuel 8-12 to and Jesus. Like the Israelites in 1 Samuel, the Jewish people in Jesus' day were looking for a warrior king to lead them. The Lord had promised to send his anointed one, the Messiah, but there was confusion as to what sort of king he would be. At the end of John's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with loaves and fishes, in chapter 6, we see this happening. Let's read from verse 14. So that's John, chapter 6, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus knew they wanted to make him to be a king that was just like the nations. But Jesus is a different sort of king. We saw how Saul, as a human king, was helped by God through having the Spirit of God come upon him. The divine king helping the human king. But Jesus is a king that's both human and divine. Flip forward in John's Gospel to chapter 10 and see that Jesus reveals that he is God. Chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. With a king that's both human and divine, God doesn't need to enable him anymore. The perfect leader of God's people has come. For Jesus has a kingdom that is different to what we expect. Later, when Jesus is put on trial in John chapter 18, he's grilled about his kingship. Let's read his response in John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Yet even though Jesus is the perfect leader of God's people, and his kingdom is from God, the leaders of the Jewish people don't recognize him. The Jewish high priest reject Jesus as king. It's like the elders of the Israelites asking for a king like the nations. Let's see what the high priests say in John chapter 19, verse 15. But the Jews shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. 
Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. By rejecting God's king and proclaiming the king of the Romans, of the nations, they are again submitting to the political gods of the nations, like they did in 1 Samuel. But when Jesus is proclaimed king, it's not an elaborate ceremony. Jesus is proclaimed king at his death on the cross. See it with me in John chapter 19. Jesus is being nailed to a cross, and then we see how he's labelled in verse 19. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When a king of the nations is killed, his kingship is destroyed. But when King Jesus was crucified and raised, his kingdom was established. In giving his life as a ransom for many, Jesus demonstrates that he's a very different sort of king. Not a king that takes and takes and takes, like the human king Samuel warned about, but a king like his father God who gives and gives and gives. Through his death and resurrection, King Jesus gives a payment for sin so that we may be forgiven. Through his death and resurrection, King Jesus gives us renewed relationship with God so that we may be with him. Through his death and resurrection, King Jesus gives us life to the full so that we may have joy. Will you receive what this great king gives, this generous gift of new life with God? Have you already received what Jesus gives? Then keep living as the person your king has made you to be. For Jesus didn't just give his life to save us from sin, he saves us to living righteously. We're not just saved from eternity away from God, we're saved to eternity with God. We're not just saved from death, we're saved to life, life to the full. Like the Israelites were saved from slavery into relationship with the Lord, we are saved from sin into relationship with Jesus. He is our king and we are to be his people. And because Jesus is not like the kings the nations have, we as his people are not to be like the nations. But wanting to be like others can be easy, can't it? Often other people seem to have it better, don't they? We're often tempted to compare ourselves to others, like the super ad we looked at before. Other people at work seem to have more money or a better work-life balance, and we want to be like them. Other people at school seem to have better grades or cooler friends, and we want to be like them. Other people might have kids that seem to be better behaved, or a marriage that seems to have better communication, and we want to be like them. It's a natural human desire, isn't it? The grass seems greener on the other side. I think sometimes what we see and long for in other people is what we feel we lack within ourselves. We might feel that we're not important, or feel like we're not beautiful, or feel like we're not known, or feel like we're not loved. But in taking up his crown at the cross, King Jesus dies for you and dies for me. In his death and resurrection, we are important to him. He knows us. We are made beautiful in God's eyes, and we are loved by him. And that's the life we've been given through faith in him. Other people might seem to have it better, 
But we've been saved by our King to have life to the full. Because King Jesus is not like other kings, we as his people are not to be like others. The Apostle Paul encourages us in this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are to serve him faithfully. Instead of conforming to what this world is like, that is wanting to be like others, we are to be transformed as his people. We've seen in 1 Samuel chapters 8 to 12 that when the Israelites ask for a king to be like the nations, they reject the Lord as their king and who their king has made them to be. The Lord gives them a human king and enables him to lead by his spirit. But there is a warning that human kings will take and take and take. We've seen that King Jesus is a king who is both human and divine And Jesus gives and gives and gives through his death. As people saved by Jesus into God's family, let's be his people, not wanting to be like others, but serving King Jesus.